Acts 4, 1 to 14. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anas, the high priest, was there, and so were Cassiphius, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that this, these men had been with Jesus. Thanks uh, so much, Carla. That was amazing. Uh, you are a star. So thanks for reading that for us this morning. Uh, my name's Matt Pamplin. I know each week we sometimes have guests from different places. So I'm one of the pastoral staff here at St. Clair. Before we dive into the message this morning, which I do think is a very important message for us, um, Anne said it beautifully that we we live in a time where it just feels, one, maybe we're exhausted from COVID and we feel really tired. And then we look at the world and we also just see the deep brokenness that we see around us. We see the racial injustice in the States and we long to respond. And many of us feel maybe angry, frustrated and are asking, how do we actually do that? And as a leadership team and as a church uh, staff, we've been really trying to ask the same kind of questions. And so in many ways, it feels deeply humbling for us. We're probably predominantly a white community. And so I think there's a posture of just listening and learning well that we need to adopt along with posture of repentance. Um, and as a church this week, we're actually going to be sending out some resources uh, for our community so we can actually do some learning and listening together. And then we're also trying to be asking, how do we create maybe some forum and space as a congregation to actually listen, particularly to voices of color who can help us understand their experience? So we're in the works of that. and We'll keep people posted on what's going to be going on there. This morning, uh, the message feels really uh, poignant for us. Uh, at, we've been in a series in Acts and we've actually called the series Reimagining the Church. And if ever the church needs to reimagine itself, it feels like it is now. Dave and I didn't realize how prophetic that kind of title for the series would be when we thought about it a few weeks ago. And what we've been doing is looking at the book of Acts and asking, how did the early church live? And what does that mean for us as we think of some of the themes of the early church and try and live them out today in Hamilton, Ontario? That's one of our big questions. As we look at the challenges of the world, we also have to ask, how do we actually live that in our neighborhoods, homes and places right in our own city? 
Dave last week shared from Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and fills the disciples. And Dave gave a beautiful message of this call to repentance in response to the Holy Spirit. And I'd encourage you to listen to that because I actually think that word of repentance is a call for the church at this moment in time. But the verse I really want to focus on and unpack this morning is found in Acts chapter 4 and it's kind of embedded in the middle of it and Kala read it beautifully. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. If ever the church needs this verse, it's now. I don't know if the world looks at the church and says, oh man, I'm so astonished because I could tell those people have been with Jesus. But maybe that is the call again of God to remind ourselves of who we're meant to be. This morning, I call my message holy disruption because it feels like that's what's happening. We have a world that feels like it's shaking we have a church that feels like it's been shaken. And I do want to say that feels scary. If you're like me, it does feel somewhat terrifying. And yet maybe it is a good thing because Jesus is disrupting his church and reminding it of who it's meant to be. What was terrifying this week was to look over the Old Testament and realize over and over um, as Anne said beautifully from the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament keep showing up and saying to Israel, Oh, remember who you're meant to be, because this is who you're meant to be. And whenever they're going off track, they are reminded. And maybe this is a moment where the church is being reminded of who it's meant to be. This is what Jack Ellul says. Christians were never meant to be normal. We've always been holy troublemakers. We've always been creators of uncertainty, agents of another dimension, we're never compatible with the status quo. We do not accept the world that is as it is, but we insist on the world becoming the way that God wants it to be. And the kingdom of God is different to the patterns of this world. I was listening to a podcast that Dave reminded me of this week, and there's this beautiful talk by uh, Sho Baraka, who's a hip-hop artist and leader and writer, and he had a brilliant message on the gentrification of Western Christianity. And this is what he says. It, he's talking about America. In America, Christianity has become more of a social group, status symbol or class, rather than a transformative grace that leads the enemies of God to himself and helps them to love the things they once hated. What if the church is being called again to be reminded, as Jacques Alonsel said, that we are holy troublemakers? So as we think about the text for this morning, and we ask, what was it about these early followers of Jesus that other people took note that they'd been with him? There were three things from the text that I noticed, and they were these. Kindness courage and the miraculous. Kindness, courage and the miraculous. The context for Acts 4 that Kala read is obviously, which makes sense, Acts chapter 3. And what's happening in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John are on their way to the temple and it says they're going to the prayer meeting at the temple and on their way there they notice this beggar who's been crippled 
And this beggar calls out to them for money. As good church leaders, they've forgotten their wallet, which is pretty common. And so they turn to this beggar and they say to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so this man is healed. And because of that, everyone says, how on earth did these guys have this kind of power? And so they start talking about Jesus and that's what gets them in trouble. But what I notice in Acts 3, which I love, is the interaction with this crippled man because the disciples are people who took time to notice him. They actually pay attention and rather than walking by, they give their focus and attention to him. I wonder if in the midst of COVID, while it's been difficult and challenging, everything that's been happening, particularly on racial injustice, has been a moment where we've actually taken the time to notice and pay attention. And I wonder, as COVID, as we emerge from it and start to get back to normal, whether the reminder is still, still pay attention to those who are most vulnerable and hurting. What if as people who follow Jesus, we take the time to notice? What we see in the scripture when they're then arrested by the religious leader and put on trial, verse 9 says this, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, are we being asked how he was healed? So the disciples say, oh, we actually showed kindness to this beggar. And the people who follow Jesus are always meant to be a people of kindness. That's central to who we are. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, it does produce kindness. It doesn't say anything about niceness because niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Although I would like that to be the case as a good Brit who loves niceness. But it's actually kindness that's the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that's because kindness is always action oriented. Kindness always involves us actually doing something about it. When you look at kindness in the scripture, particularly in the Hebrew, it's connected and interchangeable with this word hesed which is God's covenantal, faithful love. One theologian said this, kindness is a manifestation of love's other directedness. I love that. Basically, what he's saying is God's love is expressed in kindness. And as followers of Jesus, when we're kind, it actually shows God's love to other people. But the Western world has built a culture of individuality and self-sufficiency. So we've basically been duped into this idea that life is about me and I'm okay and my family's okay, even at the expense of others. And God comes in and says, oh, actually, what if you would be a people who are kind and show that by how you love other people? And we've been reminded of that again in the last few weeks, that we have always been called to be people who see others as image bearers, no matter who they are. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend from those who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners 
lent to sinners expecting to be repaid. But love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So we see here Jesus reminding his followers, you are called to be kind to all people and see them and love them as image bearers. See, as followers of Jesus, we are kind because God himself is kind. There are three verses in the New Testament that really stood out to me this week as I was prepping my message. And there's so much in the scripture about God being kind. But here's what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 3 verse 3. I love this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Jesus is God's kindness expressed to us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, God's kindness leads us to repentance. I was looking around at the world this week and I always look at leadership as a pastor. And one of the things that grieved me the most as I looked at the world, I kept thinking, and maybe this is the Holy Spirit saying to me, Where's the towel and the basin? See, leaders have always been called to people who leverage their power for others. I never saw one example of someone saying, oh, actually, as followers of Jesus, we always give up our power for the sake of those that don't have it. We always leverage it on behalf of others. Leaders are called to be people who carry a towel and a basin, not coercion and excessive force. That's what the followers of Jesus were known for. Roman Emperor Julian says this about the early church. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. These impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well. In the early days of St. Clair, before we were even a thing, I think, we used to meet in a basement just praying together and asking what it would look like to be the church in the city. And a friend of mine, Josiah, who is pretty prophetic in nature, he was praying for just this prayer meeting that was becoming a church. And one day he emailed me these words. He said, Matt, I was praying for you and this really came to mind. I felt God say, if you take care of the least of these, I'll take care of your church. And for years, I've just be moved by that and reminded of it again. And in many ways, maybe even myself need to come before God and say, maybe we've forgotten about that at times. And you're calling us to repent and remind ourselves that as St. Clair, we're always called to the least of these because that's where Jesus is. You know, it's not necessarily where you stand, as we've noticed this week. It's always who you stand with. So we see marks of kindness for the disciples, we also notice their courage. Uh, verse four, uh, chapter four, verse 13 says, noticing the courage of these unschooled ordinary men. So these disciples were also courageous. And I think they were courageous in two different ways. One is what they said and also the cost they were willing to pay. I love the fact it says they were unschooled ordinary men. 
See, often as a pastor, I get uh, this gets told to me by my congregation, which I totally understand, Matt. I don't know if I can do that because I just don't feel I know enough of the Bible. I don't know if I've got enough theological education. And this verse cuts through that and says, will you be obedient and give what you have and step out in that? Someone said to me recently, Matt, the Western church is educated way beyond our obedience. I love that. You know, we know all the right stuff. We know the information. But the question is, will we actually act on it and do it? And the reason they get in trouble in verse 2 and verse 10 says they're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what's going on here. The disciples are saying Caesar is not in charge. The Roman Empire is not in charge. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. See, we'll always get in trouble when we proclaim the kingship of Jesus because it always pushes back against the powers and power structures that built against the kingdom of God. Stanley Hauerwas says this, Jesus is Lord is not my personal opinion. I take it to be a determinative political claim. The difficulty is following a crucified Lord entails embodying a politic that cannot resort to coercion and violence. It's a politic of persuasion all the way down. It's a tiring business that is slow and time consuming. See how was he saying when we show up, we talk about Jesus and we say, oh, there's a new kingdom that is here. And that will always get in trouble because people don't like that. But maybe what if we as the church actually just started talking about Jesus all the time? I've been struck like by that in my own life. I talk about a lot of different things kind of around Jesus. But as soon as I start talking about Jesus, something different happens. So they're courageous because they talk about Jesus. But I think they're courageous because they recognize the cost involved with following him. See, as they start to proclaim this, they know they're going to get in trouble with the religious leaders and with the authorities, which is exactly what happened. They get arrested. And I think, and then later on, when we read the book of Acts, we know all bar John are martyred for following Jesus. So I think they've been prepared to pay the cost. This week, one of the biggest things I thought about in relation to everything that's going on in the world is, am I willing to pay the cost that this will take? See, actually, safety and comfort are two of our highest values in the West. We prize them above all others. And yet safety and comfort, annoyingly, I had a long look. I went through this book this week. It got held up at one point, but I decided to go inside it and have a look at it. And I realized, oh, man, safety and comfort are never our highest values. Following Jesus is our highest value. We're reading Isaiah 58 uh, as a leadership team this week. And what I noticed about Isaiah 58, which was deeply moving, was uh, it says this in verse six. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? And so I'm doing my best Pentecostal. Come on, bring it on. That is really great. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of seeing injustice change. I want to see Jesus's yoke being on people so they're no longer held in slavery. And then this is the annoying bit Isaiah says next. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? See, to actually 
enact justice needs me to do something. And it actually needs me to give away what I have for the benefit of others. And the question is, am I willing to do that? In October, the theme of my devotional life was Revelation chapter 5, where in Revelation, John says, talks about the lamb who was slain. See, that is the Jesus we follow. We love victorious Jesus. In fact, in the song, we love the lion of Judah part. We're just not as big fans of the lamb that was slain. But that's also who we follow. Those that would give their lives away on behalf of others. A few years ago, I was working at a university, which I love dearly. And when I was working there, there was this social justice group that was started about how do university students care for people who have been historically oppressed or be most vulnerable. And in the middle of it, we started chatting. And there were some really great ideas about how they would do that. And it was great. We we're going to save the world. And then a woman, I just paused and said, oh, you do know in order for us to do that, it's actually going to cost us something. See, I think I would love people to... Um, get out of poverty or for racial injustice to stop or things to change. But often I don't want to actually give up my own lifestyle or way of living in order for someone else to have that. See, what if we opened up our homes and our lives? What if we moved out of our own friend circles to embrace others that are not like us? What if the call of Jesus hypothetically is to lay down our lives every day? The challenge is that is not hypothetical. It's right in the Gospels. That is the call of Jesus. The question is, will I actually be willing to pay the cost? This week I was praying and I had this moment where I really felt like uh, the Holy Spirit say to me, well, don't worry, because if you don't do anything, you cannot fail. See, sometimes in my own life, I worry about stepping out and doing something because what will happen and what if failure occurs? But I wonder if we're just being called to do that, no matter the cost. So we see the kindness of the followers of Jesus. We see their courage. And lastly, we actually see the miraculous taking place. See, in the Western church, particularly in my own life, it's easy to get to the scripture. And sometimes we love to rationalize things. Or what we love definitely is to say, oh, is this kind of metaphor? Or is this just trying to help us point out what's going on in the story, rather than actually recognizing the reason they're in trouble is because the miraculous has occurred and a man has been healed. See, what's scary when you read the life of Jesus and actually the life of the early church is the miracles run all the way through it. The miraculous is commonplace. See, people will say Jesus was a good teacher. They'll talk about Jesus' prayer life. They'll talk about his compassion. They'll talk about him eating with people. They'll talk about his passion for justice. But one of the things that is terrifying, as I read the Gospels this week, is how many miracles show up. And the reason that is, is Jesus isn't just showing that he is God. He's actually showing his kindness and compassion. See, he longs for healing in the world, so miracles take place. And here's one of the things that we notice. The early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts also become a people of the miraculous. I was going through the book of Acts this week in preparation, and I made a few notes of the miracles that took place. And here's just a few 
And we're only going to get to a few chapters. Acts chapter 2, many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. Acts chapter 3, as we mentioned, a lame man is healed. Acts chapter 5, imprisoned apostles are freed by an angel. That's always helpful. Acts chapter 6, Stephen performs signs and wonders. Acts chapter 8, Philip is transported somehow from a desert to Azotus. Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9, Ananias healed of paralysis. Acts chapter 9, Dorcas is raised from the dead. Acts chapter 14, a cripple is at Lystra is healed. Acts chapter 16, demons are cast out of a slave girl. I could keep going because there's so many more of them. The point I'm trying to make is the miraculous is part of the church. If you're like me, when I say that, probably your response is, I do know that, but I actually have been disappointed because I've prayed and I've longed to see the miraculous and it hasn't actually taken place. See, when I was younger, I was one of those enthusiastic followers of Jesus who was like, Great, let's go for this. The book of Acts is real. I'm going to go out there and pray for everyone who is sick that they'd be healed. And actually, I did see some people get healed, but more often than not, it felt like I didn't see the kind of things that I wanted. And so I kind of held the miraculous at arm's length. And then living in the world I am, I also became cynical of it because we become really rational, intelligent. And this week, I've been reminded of this repentance, which reminds me God is still in the miracle business. And I don't always understand why it doesn't happen. But let us be honest, we need the miraculous more than we ever have needed. And it's not just in the physical sense, but it's in Jesus reconciling all things back to himself. C.S. Lewis says this, The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. People will say when they talk about acts and the work of the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit was given and the gifts, there's debate about the gifts, they were given so the church could get started and instigated. And so some people argue the gifts aren't around today because they were needed to get the church going. That's one of the arguments they give. Honestly, look around at the church at the moment. Do you not think we need help in the work of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. If ever we need it, it is today for God to do something new. So in my own life this week, I've been asking, Lord, I don't get it. I know it's not always going to be easy, but would you actually do the miraculous in our lives again? Because here's why. The miraculous is never for us to be impressed or to look and go, aren't we great? The miraculous is always given for healing and reconciliation for people who are most hurt and broken. In the words of Habakkuk, do it again, Lord. So as I close out this morning, those three things I think ring true. And I do want to say, if we are going to be people who are recognized as those that have been with Jesus, there is so much more to say than these three things. It's so multifaceted, but they were three that I noticed, that we would be people known for our kindness to everyone. We'd be people known for our courage in the way we speak and the way we sacrifice. And also we'd be people who recognize the miraculous in our lives. As we close out, I was struck by Anne's words at the start this morning in a call to worship that we identify with Jesus, the one who suffered. And so that is what we hold up. And as we close this morning, 
I could tell you, go out and be courageous, go out and be kind, go out and stir up the miraculous. But we need to open ourselves up to the grace of Jesus afresh to do that in us. One of the most dangerous prayers that we can pray is come Holy Spirit. And I wonder this morning as we close before we take communion, we are, we are open to saying again, come Holy Spirit. Would you move and blow through me the areas that need to be broken down, that need to die, that I need to repent of? Maybe even the thought patterns that have inhibited me. And would you again fill us afresh so we can be people who look like Jesus? If you'd be willing, why don't you hold out your hands and we will pray and then we'll transition into communion. Holy Spirit, we need you. We say, come Holy Spirit and fill us afresh. Would you empower us to be people who display kindness to all? that doesn't just come from a place of words, but comes from a place of deep action and compassion? Would you allow us to be courageous, to make decisions in our life where we would say, I'm going to surrender or give this up for the sake of the kingdom? Would we again be a towel and a basin kind of people in the way we live, that we are called to serve others? And Holy Spirit, in a world of deep cynicism, would you remind us, that you are still in the miraculous work, that the world would be healed because you long to bring your kingdom. Transform us, change us. Holy Spirit, we don't want this just to be just for a moment in time. We long this would shape the church that we would be different. We come to you and we say this morning, we cannot do this without you. All our best intentions and endeavours will not get us anywhere. Fill us so we can be sent out. In Jesus' name, amen.